Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Kyle Hubbard. For more about this podcast and other resources, visit our website at www.riverinthehills.com. The title of today's message is God's Heart for Israel. God's Heart for Israel. And we're going to look at how we can stand with the Jewish people through their darkest hour that's yet coming. First, we're going to look at the initiation of this people, the initiation of the Jewish people. How did Israel become a nation? Where did the Jews come from? What was God's purpose in electing them? Well, Israel became a nation because God sovereignly picked a person out of the nations that he had just judged and scattered in Genesis 11 at the Tower of Babel incident. God took the initiative. I love it when God takes the initiative. He always does. God took the initiative and straight up just chose a person that he would make into a people group, a people group that he would ultimately bless all the nations of the earth through. This is why Israel was created. Israel was created for us for all the Gentiles, all the peoples of the earth to be blessed. We find this in Genesis 12, one through three. This is God's exclusive election of Abram at the beginning. Now the Lord said to Abram, Genesis 12, get out of your country, get out from your family and your father's house to a land that I will show you. Abram was an Iraqi. He was in the Ur of the Chaldees, which is modern-day Iraq, historical Babylon. God called a Babylonian and just made him into a people group. He said, get out from your country. I will make you a great nation, verse 2. I will bless you, Abraham, and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, Abraham, and the Jewish people, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Who's part of a family this morning? All of us are part of a family. In Abraham, in Israel, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It hits every home, this blessing. Now catch this, God's exclusive election of Abraham and his lineage, this Jewish people group, was not to elevate them so that they could dominate and control the earth, but rather his purpose in elevating and electing Abraham from this idol-worshiping pagan nation was so that he and all his descendants could come underneath and serve all the surrounding nations of the earth, including us. The primary way the Jews were going to serve the earth was by being entrusted with the revelation of the light of God's heart, primarily. The revelation and the dissemination, the spreading of the light of God's heart, his truth, his grace, his healing, his blessing, and the most glorious aspect, the one we celebrated so fervently this morning, Jesus, the Messiah. The Jews would serve the whole world with the revelation and the spreading of eternal salvation and redemption through the God-man Messiah that would come from Abraham's seed 2,000 years after this sovereign Genesis 12 call. Israel wasn't chosen just for Israel. Israel was chosen to heal the planet. 
to be a light to the nations. When we get that as Gentiles, we can understand and receive and actually celebrate and support God's choice of Israel as being for our ultimate good. Abraham, the father of a multitude of nations, that's what his name means, father of a multitude of nations, had the son of promise, Isaac, which means a son of laughter or child of laughter, one who laughs, who had Jacob. His name originally meant supplanter or usurper, but then God changed it to Israel. It gave him a new name, which means prince with God. So when you hear Israel, think prince with God, ruling with God to serve the whole earth, to serve us. And when you hear Jacob, it's synonymous with Israel. Before we move on, I want us to catch this eternal law found in Genesis 12, verse 3. This is, I'm calling God's eternal law of reciprocity. God's eternal law of reciprocity. I will bless those who bless you, Abram, Israel, the Jewish people, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is the law of reciprocity. What you give to Israel is what you get, good or bad. Entire nations and empires historically have risen and fallen based on their response towards Israel and towards Jerusalem. You can see this law at work all throughout history. In fact, this law is a startling proof of the reality of God and the reality of Scripture. This verse 3 hits home, though. It's, as we talked about earlier, it's not just empires that are affected by their heart posture towards Israel. It's individual families. They rise and fall based on their response towards Israel and the Jewish people. It's enlightened self-interest. Catch this. It's enlightened self-interest for us to bless Israel and the Jewish people, primarily through prayer, through intercession, through the sharing of our hearts, our homes, and our very lives with them, if it gets to that point, and giving financially to God's purposes for them. I want to share three quick stories that prove this law of reciprocity in my own family. The first one is my mom. She's teaching Compass Kids right now. May 14th, 1984. Interestingly enough, May 14th, 1948 was the day that, na- that the nation of Israel was born after World War II. May 14th, 1948, Israel was miraculously born in one day. May 14th, 1984, switch the four and the eight, my mom was at this point a freshman at Baylor University in Waco. She was a good Baptist girl at this point, but she went to a meeting at her good Baptist church where John Wimber was. And the Holy Spirit fell and filled my mom and changed everything for the better. She started speaking in tongues on her way home to her parents' house that night. And over the next few months, reading through the Old Testament, she got an instant sovereign love for Israel and the Jewish people. No one taught her. God taught her through his scripture in the Old Testament. This was a result of being filled with the Holy Spirit of fire. He burns for Israel. And ever since then, she has passed this love onto our family, even to my dad and to us as kids. I've been able to pass this love on to, to my little family that's growing. And we've been blessed. We've never gone without as a family. We've been so blessed as a family. And part of that is because we've stood with Israel. Because God sovereignly marked my mom with love for Israel in 1984. Second story, my dad, I'm gonna invite my dad up. In 2010 or 11, my dad felt like he was burning out. 
I think if we're all honest, we felt that way before. We're kind of losing our fire for God, and he's going to share that story. Yeah, 15 years ago, uh, yeah, I felt it. I'd been uh, in the prayer room running hard for about two and a half years, leading the church as, as senior pastor, carrying those responsibilities as husband, father, pastor. But the truth is I, I knew I was burning out. I was out of gas, so to speak. And uh, so I, I thought to myself, just this thought came in my mind, you know, if I can step into your fire, then perhaps my fire won't go out. So where do you burn? Because I don't want to burn out. And so I said, Lord, where do you burn? And I remember, I believe I was in this, the prayer room, and in, almost instantly three sentences came into my mind, three th thoughts in my mind. It's called, I, I don't say I heard it audibly, but the internal audible voice, and it came this way said, first, I, I burn for the, uh, I burn that my house be a house of prayer. The Lord gave me a scripture for that. Then the next sentence, I burn for the poor and the needy. He gave me a scripture for that. But then the third one was so interesting, really shocking. I said, I'd, I'd ask the question, Lord, where do you burn? Because I don't want to burn out. He said, I burn that my house be a house of prayer. I burn for the for the poor, now here's how I heard it, but oh, how I burn for Jerusalem. And I was, I was shocked. I was, what? Can't be the Lord. What is that? The Lord gave me two scriptures to support that, to show that. Oh, how I burn for Jerusalem. And so I got those three things as I, as I heard that and got involved in, in that with my time with my gifting, with my energy, with my money, I can thankfully, by God's grace, say the fire has not gone out. I've had, you know, little flickerings now and then, but I get back into it because that's where he burns. And so it's genuinely been a blessing back to me. I never knew God had such a fire in his heart for Jerusalem and for Israel until that time. I realized stepping into the heart, God's heart for Israel, was like accessing a separate gas tank on a truck. And so I had to dig back because they don't have them out now, but here's a, here's a pickup truck. Do you see there's a gas tank? There's a gas tank. And I realized that most of the church, the majority of the fuel that the church runs on was related to God's word, to prayer, to, uh, to the way that to, to worship, those were the things. That was like that first gas tank was, was that. But then there was a whole separate gas tank of fuel that I wasn't accessing until then called, called God's heart, God's burning heart for Israel. And so that's what began to, to happen in my life. It's, I, I wrote it this way, the Israel Revelation is a second reservoir of fuel from which we can turn and shine and burn and shine for Jesus. The second gas tank has been essential for me to stay fiery for the past 15 years. Three things real quick. Learning what God's Word says about Israel, experiencing how God feels about Israel, and being a watchman on the wall praying for the salvation of Jewish people. Those are three ways that I have flipped that switch and accessed that fuel tank.
And by God's grace, we're going to step into all three of those that he just mentioned. Third story, personal story for me. Summer of 2020, I was in this prayer room sitting over by that map. This amazing prophetic lady, I mean, she's like a biblical-style prophet, would come in every now and then and just give us the word of the Lord, and it was strong. Uh, But on this day, we were praying together, and all of a sudden, very startled, she was like, oh my goodness, Kyle, I see the archangel Michael standing next to you or standing with you. And she was like, and I knew theologically from Daniel 12 that the archangel Michael is the prince warring angel. He's the biggest, baddest warring angel that God's got. But he's assigned geographically to the Israeli Jewish people. I was like, he's supposed to be over in Israel watching over them because all the nations around them hate them and want to wipe them off the planet. So you need the biggest, baddest protection. But I'm like, why would he be here in this little Gentile community in Lakeway with this little prayer room guy with a couple prayer sets a week? Why would he be in this prayer room, in this church, standing with us? And the Lord reminded me just a few hours before that, I was going about normal duties here, nothing spiritual, and the Lord just grabbed my heart for a few minutes to pray for Israel. Just a few minutes. Didn't really feel the fire of God, didn't feel anointed, just prayed out of obedience for two, three minutes. The Lord said, you did that. I saw that. And when you stand with Israel, when you stand with the Jewish people through prayer, you get her protection. Because you're standing with my people. If you stand next to her, you get her angelic protection. Later that day, a few hours later, I wouldn't be sharing this story if this didn't happen a few hours later. Later that day, another prophetic lady who just comes in randomly and just gives the word of the Lord, she texted me a picture of the clouds over Lake Travis. She said, I see the angelic host in the clouds over Lake Travis, and she mentioned Archangel Michael. I don't hear people talk about Archangel Michael that much. Very rarely, within a few hours, two confirmations. So I'm like, I didn't really believe it the first time, but after the second time, I believed it. And when he reminded me of what I did, So I just want to encourage you guys with that. I needed the Archangel Michael's protection for what we went through last year. We can tell you about that another time. But let's catch this before we move on. We don't bless Israel primarily for a selfish benefit. That's just part of the blessing of standing with them. But that's not why we do it. We do it because God's heart is burning for them. We don't give to Israel so we can get rich. We give to Israel because it launches our heart into a deeper encounter with the Jewish heart of Jesus. We don't pray for Israel to get her angelic protection. We pray for Israel because all the nations surrounding her hate her and want to wipe her off the planet, and she needs our prayers. Bottom line, we support Israel because God himself is our exceeding great reward. And if we want to draw nearer in intimacy with God's burning heart of love for ourselves and our families and our church and our community, we must step into God's burning heart of love for Israel. And that's the second section we're gonna look at. I'm calling it the incendiary jealous love of God for his Jewish people and his land of Israel. I got all eyes today, so that was the reason for the incendiary. The incendiary jealous love of God for his Jewish people and his land of Israel. Deuteronomy 7, 6. The Lord speaking to Israel, he says, For you, Israel, Jewish people, are a holy, set-apart people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself. They're God's own inheritance. God has an inheritance. It's the Jewish people. And it's us through faith grafted into the Jewish olive tree of faith. He says this. this Catch this. You are a special treasure 
The Hebrew word there is segula. You are a segula, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. This word translated segula, special treasure, it means a unique jewel, a most prized possession. I thought about it this way. It's the first thing you'd save in a fire. (laughs) This is God's heart for Israel. God treasures Israel and the Jewish people uniquely, and we should too. But also know this, how the Lord feels about the Jews is how he feels about us. Because we have been grafted into the Israeli olive tree of faith, this blessing through faith in their Jewish Messiah, he calls us his segula, his special treasure, his royal diadem, the first thing he'd save in a fire. The next verse here is set in Isaiah 31. It's set in the context. Get the context of this verse. It's set in the context of Jesus' end-time defense of Jerusalem and his obliteration of the Antichrist armies that will be seeking to destroy the Jewish people at this time. Isaiah 31.9. In that context, he says, says the Lord, whose fire is in Zion and whose furnace is in Jerusalem. God burns uniquely for this city. God's fire is uniquely somewhere. It's on that holy hill about 8,000 miles away in Jerusalem. Zechariah 2.8, for thus says the Lord of hosts, this is actually Jesus contextually speaking here. He says this, Jesus says, he sent me, the Father sent me after glory to the nations which plunder you, Israel. For he who touches you, Jewish people, touches the apple of God's eye. Israel is the apple of God's eye. The apple of the eye is the pupil. It's the center of his eye. It's the most tender part of the body is the apple of the eye, the pupil. Israel's the most tender part of his body. It's the part that receives light. That's Israel's original call to receive the light of God's truth, to disseminate to the world. And we see the law of reciprocity at work here in this verse again. He who touches you, Israel, touches the apple of his eye both positively and negatively. When we touch her with blessing and with prayer, we're touching the center of God's eye. When we touch her with hate and anti-Semitism, we're touching the center of his eye. It's a fearful thing to not stand with Israel. We're gonna look at that later. Zechariah 1.14 proclaims saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, I am zealous, jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with great zeal, with great jealousy. Remember, how the Lord feels about Jerusalem is how he feels about us. I'm so thankful he's a jealous, zealous God. He knows. What does it mean that he's jealous? He knows that he's the best thing for us, and he's willing to fight for it, to get violent if necessary, to get our hearts. But he chose this one city, really this one little holy hill, out of all the geographies of the earth, to put his name. He's bound his whole reputation, his character, his heart. He's bound all of himself to this city forever. We find this in 1 Kings 9, speaking to Solomon. And the Lord said to Solomon, I have consecrated this house which you have built in Jerusalem to put my name there forever. That's why he cares so much about about it. His name's there. My eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. 
my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. God put his name, his eyes, and his heart forever on this city. Catch this. I want his name. I want his eyes. I want his heart. So how do I get these? I thrust my name and my eyes and my heart onto that holy hill (laughs) through prayer, through practical support. I believe we will all experience a greater measure of his name, his eyes, and his heart because we do this. Let's look now at our grateful indebtedness to the Jewish people as Gentiles. This isn't a, oh, I'm indebted to them. This is a grateful indebted, just like you are to people who love you and care for you, people who've been there for you. You're gratefully indebted to them. That's what it's like as us Gentiles, if we're Gentiles in the room. I know we have some Jewish people in the room. Derek Prince says this, without the Jews, we would have no patriarchs, no prophets, no apostles, no Bible, and no savior. (laughs) Let's look at the unquestioned spiritual legacy of the Jewish people throughout the millennia. Paul talks about it in Romans 9. He says this, my countrymen according to the flesh, Paul was a Jew, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, the promises, of whom are the fathers, the patriarchs, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is overall the eternally happy God. Bless God. He's the eternally happy God. That's for someone this morning. He's eternally happy. Let's go through this list quickly. The adoption. This is the adoption as sons and daughters of God. Because God adopted Abraham sovereignly as his very own in Genesis 12, we could be adopted into the family ourselves. Do you enjoy your sonship or daughtership? I don't know if that's a word. Do you enjoy that? Enjoy it because of the Jews. The glory. The glory speaks of God's Shekinah glory. The visible cloud of glory that showed God's presence among his people during their exodus from Egypt. Do you want the glory of God in your life? You want that pillar of cloud and fire to lead you and guide you? I do. We can thank the Jews for this. The covenants and the giving of the law, both the old and the new covenants, the Bible itself and all its revelation, all its light, all its encouragement came through the Holy Spirit inspiring Jewish hearts. Think about that. Who has taken encouragement, direction, and joy from the Bible? Let us acknowledge and thank those obedient Jewish vessels who were moved by the Holy Spirit and wrote those life-giving words down for us that thousands of years later we're taking encouragement from. Just a little aside, we're not quite sure if Luke, who wrote Luke in the book of Acts, was a Jew or a Gentile. I believe he was a Jew. I can send you an article why if you want to talk about it later. But at least 64 out of the 66 books of the Bible were written by Jews. Probably all 66. Service of God. This speaks of the mosaic. We're we're looking at this verse in Romans 9. The list of their spiritual legacy. The service of God. This speaks of the mosaic order of temple worship and how to relate to God through the sacrificial system. There are so many principles and keys for us in the Jewish service of God in the temple that we can transfer into our daily walk with Jesus. All of these types and shadows in the Old Testament and the service of God are patterns for us to enter into a more vibrant, life-giving relationship with the God of Israel. Do we want to serve God and draw near to him and relate to him rightly 
Again, we can thank the Jews for this. The promises, last couple of things. Over 7,000 promises have been made by God to humankind in the Bible. 7,000 promises. So many promises, and I'm making up a percentage here, but probably 99% of those, those 7,000 promises that we can rightly put our name on as Gentile believers, 99% of those were given first to Israel, to the Jewish people, first to the Jew, and then to the Gentile. Do you love your promises in the Bible? I do. They get me through all kinds of storms. Well, contextually, they were probably written to Jews first. One example, Isaiah 54, 17, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Every tongue that rises against me in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and the righteousness is from me. That promise, that was written to Jews in the end days surrounded by all their enemies. No weapon formed against you, believing Jewish remnant in Jerusalem will prosper because the King Jesus is marching up through Edom and is gonna save you. <laughs> the patriarchs and the Christ, and Christ, the fathers of the faith, and the Messiah himself were all Jews. Thank you, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and thank you, Jesus. The second reason we're to be gratefully indebted to the Jewish people is the fact that Israel, this is an empathetic gratefulness, Israel has borne the brunt of Satan's rage throughout history. Being chosen, get this, guys, being chosen and favored of God, which each one of you in here is, being chosen and favored of God doesn't always mean things go well for you. In fact, being chosen and favored often invites many negative dynamics like persecution, jealousy, and misunderstanding. See the life of Joseph in the Old Testament. The Jews have been entrusted with the revelation of the light of God, the God of the universe, and to whom much is entrusted, much is expected and required. Let us empathize with them. What a weight they've carried throughout 4,000 years. Let us hold up their arms and have much empathy for them being on the tip of the spear, encountering the most rage of Satan out of any people group. Fourth section, we're gonna look at the intercessory groan of our apostle. This is gonna make sense in a second. Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, wrote a lot of the New Testament. The one who helped bring us into the family of faith, into this Jewish olive tree of salvation, had one eternal life-gripping burden that consumed him. Let's look at this heart desire of our common spiritual father now as Gentiles. Here's the burden in Romans 9. Romans 9.1. He says this, Paul, speaking to Gentiles, he says, I tell the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit. Saying what I'm telling you is legit. It's going to sound wild, but I'm telling you, my, the Holy Spirit is saying yes to this burden. Verse 2 that I, Paul, have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. Why? For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ, cut off from Christ, for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites. In essence, Paul was saying here that he was willing to lose his eternal salvation, to give up eternal joy and peace forever in heaven, if only Israel could know Jesus. Paul was saying that he would be willing to burn in hell forever if the Jews somehow could come into relationship with Jesus. Now this wasn't possible, but it was a real groan from him. And he was dead serious. The Holy Spirit even said yes to this burden. 
this wasn't religious hyperbole. This was really what was in his heart. We must honor this burden of Paul. We must honor the sincerity and the weight of it as Gentiles, as ones who were brought into salvation through his obedience. We must take this seriously and wonder what it means for us here in Lakeway in Austin in 2022. We must sit in this groan and say, if this subject, the salvation of the Jewish people, meant this much to my apostle, to Paul, what should it mean to me? Help us, Lord, right? Romans eleven thirteen 13 expounds more on Paul's heart. He says this, for I speak to you Gentiles. Again, it's towards us. Inasmuch as I am an apostle to you, the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. Basically, I want my ministry to be made famous for Jesus. Why? If by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh, the Jewish people, and save some of them. Basically, what he's saying here, everything Paul did for us, Gentiles, was ultimately aimed towards his desire that we would affect and move his Jewish brothers towards Jesus. You ever had anyone, you're, you're talking to them, but you're really talking to someone next to them? That's what, that's what Paul was doing with us. And that's okay. That's how much the Jews meant to him. Everything he did for us was ultimately for the Jews. That's what he's saying in this verse. This is staggering. This is like me saying, I want the entire Lake Travis High School to be saved. All 4,000 kids and all their families. So that maybe, why? So that maybe a few Jewish families who know these Gentile families in Lake Travis would be provoked by the God that they're loving. That's what that's saying. I want this whole region to be saved so maybe five Jewish people could be saved who live here. That's what he's saying. This is, what, this is how much it meant to him. Paul's intercessory groan and the fact that he was sincerely willing to forfeit heaven if it brought about the salvation of the Jewish people now leads us to our final section today, this morning. And that's for us to look at and step into our modern day intercessory responsibility as Gentile believers. That's a fancy way of saying, looking at how we can support and pray for Israel. And specifically, this is our intercessory responsibility for the Jews, specifically in the context of Jacob's end time trouble of her end-time trouble, the Jewish people. The prophets of the Old and New Testament consistently paint a picture of a unique time of unprecedented and unmatched trouble and distress for the Jewish people that will immediately precede the Lord's return. This time, guys, we can hearken back to history. This time can be likened back to the historical uh, attempts of Pharaoh, Herod, and Hitler to exterminate the Jews. But this time, guys, it will be on a much grander and more extreme scale with the end-time Pharaoh, the Antichrist, being the chief satanic agent of anti-Semitic rage, where he, the Antichrist, will be seeking to wipe the Jews in the state of Israel off the map once and for all. He's going to try to finish what Hitler tried to start. According to Daniel, the Antichrist will be an exceedingly dreadful beast, exceedingly dreadful, who will epitomize the worst of all the evil empires throughout history. So really, the Antichrist's end-time rage against the Jews will be a synergistic demonic rage. 
He himself, the Antichrist, will be this Daniel 7 composite, exceedingly dreadful beast, being the worst of Pharaoh, the worst of Nebuchadnezzar, the worst of Herod, the worst of Hitler, all wrapped into one evil, exceedingly dreadful man. So let's look at a few verses now that describe this, this time of Jacob's trouble so that we can, why am I doing this, guys? We can adequately prepare our hearts to stand with her when the whole world wants to wipe her off the planet. Let's get shocked now so we're not shocked then. Shock us now, Lord, so we're not shocked then. Worship team, you come up. Jeremiah vividly describes this time of unequaled horror for the Jews right before the end. Jeremiah 30, 5 through 7. It'll be on the screen. For thus says the Lord, he's painting the picture of the scene of the last days Israel. We have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Ask now and see whether a man is ever in labor with child. So why do I see every man with his hands on his loins like a woman in labor? And all faces turn pale. Alas, why? For that day is great, and that means terribly horrible, so that none is like it. And it is the time of Jacob's trouble. But he shall be saved out of it. <laughs> the king comes and rescues the Jewish people in the last day. Daniel describes Israel's trouble in this way. Daniel 12. At that time, Michael, the great archangel, warring angel, <laughs> He shall stand up. I wonder what it looks like when Michael stands up. That's a cool day. <laughs> At that time, Michael shall stand up in an unusual way. The great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, Israel. And there shall, why? Because there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. The last verse. This is actually a pre-incarnate picture of Jesus that Daniel saw. Verse 7, Then I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river when he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven and swore by him, the Father who lives forever, that it shall be for a time, times, and a half a time. He's giving the time period of Jacob's trouble when it's at its most intensity. That little phrase, time, times, and half a time, it's kind of a cryptic biblical phrase, but it means three and a half years. Time is one year, Times is two years, half a time is half a year. One plus two plus a half is three and a half. It's all, it's said many times throughout scripture. 1260 days, three and a half years, time, times, half a time. There's the last three and a half years of human history is when this gets ratcheted up to its most extreme amount. The Lord through Zechariah frames this last scene of unmatched Jewish persecution in such detail. Zechariah 14, behold, the day of the Lord is coming and your spoil will be divided in your midst. For I, the Lord, will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken, the houses rifled, and the women ravished. Half of the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. There's always hope in these guys. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. When all the nuclear weapons are pointed against her, the Lord shows up. I don't know if it'll be Negro Leverance, but when everyone's pointed against her, he shows up, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day, the Lord is one, and his name is one. Last thing we'll look at with Jacob's troubles, Jesus himself was well-versed with the Old Testament prophecies of this unique time. 
this time period of great tribulation for his people. And nearly three entire chapters of the Gospels are devoted and targeted specifically to this end-time generation. And Jesus didn't really say anything revolutionary or new. He basically synthesized all the Old Testament prophecies. He said this in Matthew 24. He says, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, he says, Whoever reads, let him understand. And I'm just going to say this. What does that mean? The abomination of desolation standing in the holy place declaring he's God. This is when the ultimate end time Pharaoh, the Antichrist, stands in the temple, the Jewish temple, the rebuilt Jewish temple in Jerusalem. He was a man of peace before, but then he declares his true colors. He takes off his mask and says, I'm a man of war and I'm gonna kill all the Christians. I'm gonna kill all the Jews and everyone has to take the mark. It's that moment. We're not there yet. The believing prophetic remnant church will see that moment and say, that's the abomination of desolation. And we'll know the time clock starts, the last three and a half years, we better get ready to stand with Israel. We better get ready to bring in the great billion billion soul harvest that I believe is gonna come in in the last three and a half years. That's when we get our bootstraps ready. And that's what Jesus is basically saying here. Verse 21, he says, for then there will be great tribulation such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor shall ever be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. If you believe in a pre-trib rapture, why in the world would he shorten the days if there's still elect people there? We're going to go through this, and we're going to win a multitude of souls. I don't want to be taken out when a billion souls can come in through my obedience. I want to be here because there's great grace when there's great trouble. Why is there so much rage by the Antichrist against Israel? And this is where we come in, guys. Well, the Jews coming to Jesus is the final key to the salvation of the world. And Satan knows this. Here's the key verse, Matthew 23, 39, by Jesus. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. He says, for I say to you, the last part, you shall see me no more, people of Jerusalem. You won't see me with your eyes. I'm going away and you won't see me again. Till when? Till you say, Jewish believing remnant, Jewish people in Jerusalem, till you collectively as a nation say to me, Jesus, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Until the Jews welcome Jesus back, he's not coming back. So this is the key. When the Jewish leadership of Jerusalem welcomes him back, they see him as Peter saw him as the Christ the son of the living God, when the Jews recognize and receive Jesus, the Messiah, and they bless him and welcome him as the only one who fully represents Yahweh, that's what blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord means. When they do this, they will indeed see him again with their eyes in the flesh. He will return. The second coming will come about, and Satan and all his angels will be locked up in the pit for a thousand years and then destroyed forever. So why am I saying this? Satan is focusing a large amount of his limited spiritual resources on keeping the Jews in darkness and blindness and misrepresenting Christians to them. They are bearing the brunt of his rage and his demonic resources because they're the final key to his ultimate demise. And right now, guys, just to give you a little current state, this is going to equip you for when we launch into prayer this year in our prayer room and as a church for Israel. Right now, it kind of looks like the devil's winning. Of the six million Jews in the nation of Israel, I asked someone who's 
on the ground there in Israel, it has a ministry there. It's between 20,000 believers and 50,000 believers out of six million. It's a small remnant, but it's growing. Percentage-wise, it's growing rapidly. But it's so small right now. So we, as intercessors, get to get in on the ground floor and get to bring that percentage of 0.5% all the way to the promised 100% that Paul talks about when he says all Israel will be saved. That's what our prayers in this little room are gonna do. This is where we come in. We get to move the needle from 0.5%. Maybe some of us will be alive all the way till the end, maybe. We get to move it all the way to 100%. So again, guys, the question of the hour in that day, those last three and a half years, but the question is for us today, just as pertinent, when the Antichrist and all the deceived nations in league with him are surrounding Israel, seeking to wipe her off the planet, who will stand with Israel during her time of trouble? During Satan's last great resistance effort, who will take the unpopular and possibly life-threatening stance to support her? I know the answer. It's gonna be us. It's gonna be us, the believing Gentile remnant. It's gonna be us, the devoted lovers of Jesus who are in love with our Jewish king. We've settled it in our hearts beforehand that even if it costs us our lives, we will stand with the Jewish people in the darkest night of our soul. This is the ultimate line in the sand issue that every believer will be faced with during those last few years. And this is super important. I believe our heart posture towards the Jews will be a salvation issue during that time. It's not optional to stand with Israel. Where do I get that idea? Zechariah 12:3 says this, it shall happen in that day, the Lord says, I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all peoples. All who would heave it away will surely be cut in pieces. If you heave the Jews away, if you're on the side of the Antichrist, you will be cut in pieces when it comes to Israel. Even more startling, Zechariah 14, 12. And this shall be the plague which the Lord will strike. All the people who fought against Jerusalem, everyone who stands in opposition to the Jewish people in that day, this is the plague. Their flesh shall dissolve while they stand on their feet. Their eyes shall dissolve in their sockets and their tongue shall dissolve in their mouths. I don't want that to happen to me. I don't want that to happen to you guys. That's why I'm inviting you to stand today for the Jewish people. So let's settle it now that we're gonna be found on the right side of history. Let's settle it now when it's relatively easy to do so, so that when it gets harder, we won't be shaken from our stance during the rising tide of anti-Semitism that's coming upon the whole earth. So let's respond now. If you would like to publicly make a stand saying that you will support Israel, you're supporting her today and you will support her even when it gets hard, no matter what it costs, I invite you to stand now to your feet. This is a real act. You're standing before the Lord. You're not standing before us. You're standing before the Lord. He's got eyes on you right now. Just he had eyes on my little two-minute prayer and says, I'm going to send Michael to that young man. He's, he's watching your stand right now, and it's moving his heart. He's gonna give you grace to stand with her like Corey Tin Boom's family did in World War II. We're gonna galvanize and uphold the arms of the Jewish people through prayer, the opening up of our homes. You might literally have to house a Jewish person like they did in World War II. We're gonna open up our very lives to protect and galvanize the Jewish people. Thank you guys. This moves his heart. Isaiah 62, six through seven. 
the Lord is saying to his end time church, he says, I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They shall never hold their peace, meaning they're not gonna be silent. They're gonna keep crying out day and night. You who make mention of the Lord, do you talk about Jesus? Do you talk about the Lord? You're in this category. You who make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent. Be annoying with the Lord. Don't give it up. Don't give up this prayer topic. Give him no rest. Give the Lord no rest. Be that impenitent widow knocking on the door of the unjust judge. But we have a just judge. Be that annoying prayer warrior. Give him no rest. Till what? Till he establishes and makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Jerusalem will only be established permanently and will only be a praise in the earth when Jesus comes back and the Jews welcome him. So I want to invite a first group of people up here, the first timers. Don't feel bad if this is the first time you've heard a message like this on Israel. Most of the Gentile church is still has their eyes closed to this issue because Satan is trying to keep Gentile believers from praying for him. So don't feel bad if this is the first time you've heard this. But I want to invite you and honor you for staying engaged through this message. And if you feel like God has moved your heart, that you want to obey, can you put up Isaiah 62? You want to obey this verse. You don't have to know what it looks like in practicality. You don't have to, God will work all that out. But you're saying in your heart, for the first time, I want to be set as watchmen on the wall for the Jewish people. You made the stand that you're going to stand with them. But this is a further step. This is saying, I'm going to make a commitment to the Lord in his grace that I'm going to pray for the Jewish people regularly. I might financially give to them. Whatever the support looks like, the Lord will speak that to you. But if it's your first time hearing this kind of message and you want to make that public stand that I'm going to be set as a watchman on the wall and I'm not going to let any news, I'm not going to let any opinion of the world or the devil move me from this set place. If you want to make that stand, I invite you to come forward. If it's your first time making that kind of, I'm going to be a watchman for the Jewish people. Thank you. First timers, you've heard this kind of message for the first time. You're like, I'm, I want to stand in a concerted way. I want to experience his heart. I want to experience his blessing for this kind of stand. Come on forward. So I'm going to be a watchman. The second category of, of response is those who are being, go ahead and come all the way up to the forward, uh, to the front, by the way, it's gonna make sense in a minute, to the very, very front, to where you're almost touching the altar. Because you're being set on a real wall, a real spiritual wall around Jerusalem. You're sitting in Lake, you're standing in Lakeway, but in the spirit, you're standing on those ramparts around Jerusalem. That's real. Second category is those of you who feel like the Lord is resetting your heart. Maybe in the past you've heard God's heart for Israel and you've said yes. You said, I'm gonna be a watchman for Israel. But through the busyness of life and just in our humanity, we forget things and we let things go to the side. You've kind of let the Israel subject and being an intercessor and a prayer warrior for her kind of a little bit off to the side. That's okay. I'm in that category too. I need to be reset. This message is resetting my heart even as I give it. So I wanna invite the ones who are being reset. <laughs> I love it. He's standing as a watchman. Look at this. I love it. That's how it's supposed to be. Those who are being reset, I want to invite you to come forward now and go ahead and find someone who is being set for the first time and just stand behind them. 
Stand behind the ones who are being set for the first time. And if there's an overflow of those who are being reset, that's okay. You, if there's already someone being prayed for, you can just come up to the altar. But those being reset today, the Lord's in 100%. He's 100% in the business of resetting us to things that we know are important. And I ha- it happens to me all the time. So practical action step one, in the Lake Travis prayer room, starting uh, two Fridays from now, like 12 days from now, we're gonna be praying for the Jewish people exclusively the whole semester until the end of May. On Fridays, every Friday at noon, we're gonna be praying for Israel and the Jewish people. We're gonna be worshiping for 30 minutes and then we're just gonna shift gears and cry out for her salvation. I promise blessing to you, because the Lord promises it. I promise encounters with God in his Jewish heart. I promise fire in your heart. I even promise financial blessing to you as you stand. Maybe you have to take an hour off of work and you're losing $40 an hour. You're not losing anything. You're gaining four million in the spirit, for real, by showing up. So if it means you you work around, you say, hey, you tell your employer from 11.30 to 1.30 on Fridays, can I have this two hour block off? Because it give you time to travel, give you time to settle in, give you time to get back. Do that. Make it a part of your weekly schedule, Fridays at noon. Now, if it's not possible, I understand that. Find another time in your week and say, I'm gonna give 30 minutes to Jerusalem. I have so many scriptures that will light you up. Just come and find me. I'll give you handouts to pray for Israel. Practical action step two, if you're not already tithing regularly to River in the Hills Church, start tithing to this church. We give to three ministries that either directly or indirectly indirectly support the Messianic remnant in Israel. A portion of your tithe goes directly to the Jewish believing remnant. And maybe you're already faithfully tithing. If you want to give above and beyond that 10%, you can simply write Israel on the check that you give to our church or in the notes when you give online, write Israel. And we'll make sure that goes directly to the Jewish people, to God's purposes for them. And the indirect is actually we have a missionary in Jordan, the neighboring nation. And that's the part of Paul's prayers that would the believing Gentile remnant provoke the Jews to jealousy and bring them into salvation. So when we support Jordan, really we're trying to support Israel. And so your finances will really go to getting the gospel to the Jewish people. And as the worship team sings this out, I told you it earlier, but here's the prayer strategy for those of you being reset. Lay your hands on, if it's okay, you can ask the person if it's okay. Lay your hands on the person being set for the first time. Pray your best prayer that God would set them as a watchman on the wall and keep them steady. And as you're praying for them, I believe the Lord is gonna reset you. Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon. To download the notes and slides for this message, visit our website, riverinthehills.com. If you would like to partner with us in moving God's heart and changing the world, please subscribe to our podcast, leave a review, and share this episode with a friend.